Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by Jay Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode. Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. I'm your host, Barry Watts, an IRS-trained tax strategist, and for 27 years now, a retirement designer helping people figure out the transition from working every day to a work-optional lifestyle. On the podcast today, I've got a co-host. His name is Matt Halloran. Matt, welcome to the show today. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks. Well, we're glad you're here, too. You'll give me a good foil to work off of, sort of a Johnny Carson, Ed McMahon thing. Fortunately, the people that uh, we probably appeal to in the podcast still know who Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon are, because if someone my kid's age was watching or listening to the show, they would have no idea what I just said. Today, our program is going to focus on preparing yourself for the retirement transition. And how this program came to be is I was recently talking with a client of mine who I have never met in person. In fact, he came to us through listening to the podcast, and I started him through a series of questions. One of the early questions I always ask stumbled him, and it stumbles everyone when I ask them this question, and it got me to thinking, I should do a podcast on all the questions I ask people that they often stumble over so they can know these answers stone cold, and that will really accelerate the design process when we're mapping out what their retirement should look like. So we're going to go through a set of questions today that you should be prepared to answer as you think about going to meet with the retirement designer for the first time. Fair enough, Matt? You doing good? Yeah, I'm looking at the questions and I have a blank face on some of these, so I can't wait to dive into them more deeply. Well, there may be more questions than I know about, and as long as we've got time on the podcast, we'll take your questions too. So the first question that I want to deal with is this. You should be prepared to tell your retirement designer How much money you need every month after taxes deposited into your bank account in order to live the lifestyle that you desire in retirement? How much money do you need deposited into the bank account every month? Now, that seems simple enough, but nearly everybody, when I ask that question, goes, I don't know. Well, my question to you then is, well, if you don't know, who does know? Because I can make up a number. But what if you don't like the number I make up? What if I make up a number so high that it causes your retirement to fail? Or what if it's so low that you don't have enough to buy bread and milk? So the only person who really knows the answer to this question is you. And the problem is that most people just haven't thought about this. So what I'm saying to you is this is something you need to think about. Now, the number that you're going to come up with is going to be net after taxes. And a lot of times when you ask people a question like this, how much money do you need deposited into your account? They'll start with, uh, well, um, uh, my social security is going to be 2,500 a month. And that's not the question I asked, by the way, that number was a gross number, not a net number that was before taxes. We're not talking about how much money you're going to have coming in. We will talk about that in the process, but what we're really going to talk about is how much do you need? Because everything starts with the need. What is the amount that you're going to need? And then can we hit it? So how do you develop this number? Where do you get it? Well, A way you can develop it is you could start by keeping a list of what you spend every month for three or four months 
And that would give you a really reliable picture of the monthly ebb and flow and cost of what it takes to uh, pay the bills at the house. Now, be sure that you remember Christmas gifts and birthday presents and vacations. And remember, you're going to have to replace an automobile every few years. You might as well put that in the mix and have that money in the total dollar amount. And then we'll set aside an amount every month to cover purchasing a new car. One thing that people don't think about that happens to nearly every one of my clients in retirement is they have to buy hearing aids. And do you know what hearing aids cost? Like five, six, seven thousand dollars, something like that. They have additional dental expenses. Eventually, all that gnashing of your teeth just wears them out. And it's not unusual for people to come in and say, Hey, Barry, I need an extra ten thousand dollars. And I don't ask them why they need it because it's their business and not mine. But often they'll volunteer, Yeah, I've got to pay the dentist. And so they had massive dental work done. So you have to think about all these things in coming up with your number. And I want to discourage you from setting a number that is too low. I have had people come in and set numbers as low as like $1,200 a month. Now, is it possible to live on $1,200 a month? Well, it is, but not the lifestyle that I want to live. And I think not the lifestyle you want to live. And when you've been living on six or seven or 10,000 or 15,000 a month, and you walk into my office and say, well, in retirement, it's only going to be 1,200 a month. That tells me that you don't have a very realistic view. So a good place to start is with the income that you're currently depositing into your account right now while you're working. Think about how often you get paid every two weeks or every week or once a month, however often it is, how much income gets deposited into your account on a monthly basis, because that's net, your taxes are already being held out of it in most cases. And that's a great place for you to start thinking about this. And then we can adjust it up or adjust it down, depending on whether that's too much or not enough or whether it's just right. But here's what the truth is. Your lifestyle that you live is probably calibrated to the income you already receive. And so that's a good place for you to think about and get started on how to answer that question. How much money do you need every month after taxes deposited in your bank account in order to live the lifestyle that you desire in retirement? So Barry, are there any other tools? I mean, do you recommend that they use a spreadsheet? Is there software? Is there an app? Is there anything that might expedite this or make it a little bit more complete? Well, there are all those things, but if people were spreadsheet, software, app kind of people, they would already be using those. And most folks are not doing that, is my experience. So yes, there are all kinds of tools that'll help you to figure out how to budget. A lot of times people just start writing it down and that's fine, but they leave a lot of things out. But there are places that you could just Google, how do I develop a personal household budget? Just Google that and it'll come up with all sorts of ideas and tools for you. We've got some tools. I suppose we should offer them, but we don't use them very often personally here in our practice because we just expect people to bring the number to us. So Google it up and that will probably help you in the process. I like it when people are able to use tools, but I find most people just haven't been disciplined to use that kind of tool. And most of them aren't fortunate like I am. They don't have a spouse like I do who keeps a meticulous record on a spreadsheet and every night she sits down and writes down everything that she spent that day and what category it falls into. And sometimes when I'm shopping with her, which isn't often because I try to avoid that, she will uh, see me looking at a new shirt or something like that. And I'll pass on by because that's what I do is pass on by. And she'll say, no, you've got $300 in your clothing budget. Go ahead and buy the shirt. And sometimes I do. So the rare person is like me and has that person in their life. If you don't have that person in your life, then you're going to have to figure it out for yourself. But uh, a sharp pencil and a legal pad is a good place to start. Just write down everything you spend in your family household 
every month and you'll get a good start on this. All right. What's the next question? So the second question that I like to ask people that they always give me a really blank stare about is this. What is your tax bracket? Now, that question just causes everybody to seize up because they have no idea what the answer is to that question. And even worse than that, sometimes they think they're supposed to know, so they fake it and they give me some kind of an odd answer that is absolutely not what the number is. So the reason this is an important question is it guides us into the types of accounts we use and the types of investments that we put into those accounts. So some accounts we use, you pay taxes on them every year. Some accounts we use, the taxes are deferred. Some of the investments we use create tax every year. Some of the investments we use never create a tax. So how we build all of this architecture is driven by your answer to the question, what tax bracket are you in? And we may, because of your tax bracket, be able to realize more income or defer it and pay it later. It depends on what bracket you're in that that guides us and what we need to do. Now, how do we figure this out? Well, here I do have a handy dandy chart that I would be happy to send to you if you just send us an email and I'll ship it out to you. The chart shows all the tax brackets, whether you're single, whether you're married, a lot of other tax information in it, and you can just follow it down and figure out where you fit in. You'll be able to see what your tax bracket is specifically. So if you'd like me to send you one of those charts, just send us an email to office at savingyoutaxes.com, office at savingyoutaxes.com, and say, please send me the tax chart Barry talked about, and we'll be happy to ship it out to you. But in general, here's the way taxes work. Now, this is really important. Most people don't understand this. So here's a way to begin thinking about it. First of all, in 2021, the first $12,550 per person or $25,100 for a married couple filing jointly is tax-free. So the first $25,000 you and your spouse make is tax-free. That's called your standard deduction. Now, if you're a senior over 65, you get an extra $1,350 on top of that. And if you itemize, then your number might be higher than that. But everybody is going to get at least $12,550 per person or $25,100 as a couple. Once you've gotten past that $25,100, say, that's when tax brackets begin. And for the first $9,950 or $19,900 that a couple earns, $9,950 would be single, well, every dollar you earn is taxed at 10%. And to make it simple, we're just going to keep talking about couples assuming married filing jointly, but you can cut the number in half and you'll have the single number. If you're married filing jointly, $19,900 up to that amount is taxed at 10%. Then starting with the next dollar and going all the way to $81,050 is taxed at 12%. And then starting with the next dollar and going to $172,750 for a married couple filing jointly is 22%. And then going to $326,600 is 24%. And it keeps climbing all the way up to 37%. So the brackets are like a set of stairs that you walk up. And every time your income reaches a certain level, it moves you up to another stair is the way to think about. One of the things that we've talked about in other podcasts is as you retire and your house is paid off and the kids are gone and your expenses are diminished, oftentimes your tax bracket goes up 
because you don't have any of the things that normally give you tax deductions. And so this bracket can climb all the way to 37% federally. And then on top of that, you have your state tax to consider. Now in Missouri, that is 5.9%. What is it uh, in the state that you live in, Matt? Do you know? I have no idea. Yeah, I didn't uh, think you did. I should have looked sorry. that up, but I wasn't thinking about it. Well, <laughs> let's pick on all of our friends who live in California because there are plenty of them. In California, you're going to pay 13.3% on top of the 37%. So that gets you to 50 cents out of every dollar going to the tax man if you are in the top tax bracket. Now, the reason this matters, again, is because the bracket determines the amount of tax that you'll pay on your next dollar of income. So when we're thinking about doing things that will increase your income, and that's usually considered to be a good thing, the question that we have to consider is, what bracket am I in and what tax am I going to pay on the next dollars of income that I create? Now, I've got some good news for you, Matt. The good news is, if you don't want to deal with that and wrestle with that, here's the solution. Just bring your tax return. If you'll give us a copy of your tax return, we can figure the bracket out probably before you can figure out which page we even want to look at. So that's the reason one of the things that we say right up front is when you're going to meet with us, you have to bring your tax return so we can understand your tax situation. And a part of that is determining what your bracket will be. I do have a quick follow-up question for you. So the federal taxes are stepped up, like you were talking about the tiered different tax brackets. Is that the same for states or are the states just a flat in general? Every state handles it differently, but in general, they are flat. So the rules are different in every state. So that was one. And number two, what's your third big thing that people come in and give you blank stares at? So the third question that people often have to deal with is this. What will your Social Security be in retirement? How much is your Social Security going to be? And again, it's really funny. You're asking a precise question. And a lot of times people feel on the spot because they don't know the answer. So they make up some freaking number. They'll say, oh, it's going to be like $3,000. Well, yeah, it either is $3,000 or it's like $3,000. Because if it's like $3,000 in California, that means it has to be $4,500. But if it's like $3,000 in Arkansas, that means it's like $1,500. So that's not quite true to my friends in Arkansas. But my point is, there is no like. There is only a number. How much is your Social Security going to be? Now, here's where you get that number. Social Security mails out something called your Social Security Statement. And they used to send this to every employee in the United States every year, and they decided that was too expensive, so they quit doing it. And then they started back doing it. And so now they send it to some people sometimes and other people never. And I don't know how often or why they send it out exactly. But if you get this document from Social Security, it's about four pages long. It'll say your Social Security Statement, and you go into it, it's going to show you three numbers. It's going to show you how much Social Security that you could get at age 62, which is an early retirement, how much you could get at age 70, which is a late retirement, and how much you could get at what's called full retirement age, FRA. And that usually right now is like 66 and eight months or 66 and 10 months or 67, depending on what uh, year you were born determines when full retirement age is. So we need that statement from Social Security. Now, If you don't have the statement, what do you do? Well, it's very simple. You go to SSA.gov, that stands for Social Security Administration.gov, and there's a place on there where you can key in what you're looking for and say, I need a Social Security estimate, and they will actually print up an estimate for you right there on the spot and send it out to you. So in order to have a retirement design done, 
We have to know what Social Security is because think about this in your mind for just a second, Matt. It all begins with how much do you need? That was the first question. And then we're beginning to answer the question by saying, and how much do you have? And one of the first things that you have is Social Security. So we're doing a math equation. We have a target number. We subtract off the Social Security. And then that moves us to question number four, which is going to be, what pension options do you have? Now, for some people, this is real easy. I don't have a pension anymore. We've done entire podcasts on that topic and the fact that pensions have gone away. But the fact is, some people still do have a pension. And so the question is, how much pension are you going to receive? Well, I don't know. Well, just like Social Security, they send this information out to you. Or you should be able to contact your HR department, Human Resources, and they'll give this to you. And it'll say at 62, you can have this many dollars. So it'll tell you what the amount's going to be and when you're going to receive it. Now, an important question to ask that most people don't have any idea about is, is there a cola associated with that? And I don't mean Pepsi. When I say COLA, I'm talking about a cost of living adjustment, inflation adjustment. And so if your pension is going to be, let's say, $1,000 a month, well, does it have a COLA on it or not? If it doesn't have, 10 years from now, it's still going to be $1,000 a month. But if it has a COLA on it, that means that the cost of living adjustment will be applied. And in every year, it'll go up a little bit to keep up with inflation. And then there's one final question that we ask when we're dealing with pension options, and it's simply this. Do you have a lump sum option on your pension? Can you take a lump sum or is your only option to get a check? And that's an important question that you need to be able to answer. And you may say, well, I don't know the answer to these things. I don't know how to figure this stuff out. Well, let me just ask. I don't know where you work. I don't know who your HR people are. I don't know how long you've worked there. If you don't know, I sure don't know. And the only way we can design your retirement and make it anywhere near accurate is if we have good information. It's garbage in, garbage out. We don't want to put garbage into the system. And so the best way we can do it is by having you get this information gathered up carefully. And one of those pieces of information that you need to gather needs to deal with your pension. You got that, Matt? I do. And while you were talking, by the way, I very quickly went to ssa.gov, put in a little bit of information, and it did exactly what you said. It gave me three numbers different times where I could take my social security. And uh, by the way, I know you've done podcasts on this before. There's a really big difference between taking social security early and taking it later at like 70. But that was super cool. Thanks for that information. I had never done that calculation before. We're just here to help. I'm glad that it worked out for you. So Matt, there's another question that you need to be ready to answer. Okay. All right. What is that? I want you to answer this question. Will you receive an inheritance? And this one causes people quite a bit of fluster. And one of the reasons it flusters them is they don't know uh, for sure. And they don't know the amount. And they quickly feel guilty about it because they feel like they're suddenly killing off their parents. This is kind of what I think they feel like. So let's just all be really realistic here, okay? Your parents are going to die. I hope it's later instead of sooner. But your parents and your favorite uncle, in fact, are going to die. And let's set that death to age 100 for them. That's actually the way I do it when I'm designing retirements. It's not soon. Let's set it all the way out to 100. Very few people live beyond 100. And so we know somewhere between today and the time your parents are 100 years old, they're going to pass away. And here's the question then. Are you their beneficiary? You either are or you aren't. And you you may say, well, I don't know. Well, that probably something would be a good idea to bring up and ask that question sometime. You need to be delicate about it. 
but it would be a good idea to just kind of find out what your mom and dad's plans are so you know how to sweep things up when they eventually do die. Now, the next question then, of course, that comes out of that one is, well, then how much retire or how much uh, inheritance will you receive? And most people again say, well, I have no idea because mom and dad have been really closed to mouth about this and don't share this number in most cases. My parents were never that way. They've always shared the number. I manage their money today. So obviously I know about those things. But an easy way to think about it, if you're like most families, and in most families, the kids are going to receive the inheritance when mom and dad die. An easy way to think about it would be to say, what's the value of the estate? You know, how many dollars do we have in CDs and in life insurance benefits and in IRA accounts and in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and what's the house worth? Total that all up. And how many siblings are there? Well, there's only two of you. Total it all up and divide it by two. There are three of you. Total it all up and divide it by three. We've got a whole method around this. If there are four, guess how many? Total it all up, divide it by four. And that gives you an idea about what to expect. Now, if we're doing a retirement design for you and we don't need the inheritance, well, then that's fine. That's just going to be extra gravy at the end. But I find that probably 40% of the people I'm dealing with actually will need to receive the inheritance that they're anticipating in order to get to their ultimate life goal number and their life expectancy themselves. So it's just a healthy thing for you to know about. And it's a question that's going to be asked. And if you leave it blank and say, well, I just don't know, then that could really impact how your planning works. Now, let me encourage you about this. If your folks don't have their house in order, go back to the point that I brought up. Let's be realistic here. We're all going to die someday. They need to get their house in order. And they haven't because they're uncomfortable with the idea they're going to die someday. And they don't know who to ask. And they're intimidated by the process. And so it's just easier to bury your head in the sand. And that's why we have all these famous entertainers, Michael Jackson and Prince and Supreme Court justices, people like that, who die with no estate planning done. And it creates a mess and it makes lawyers rich. Now, if your mission in life is to make lawyers rich, I would highly encourage you not to do any estate planning and to just let the lawyers have at the assets when the time comes. But the best way to do it is to help your parents get their house in order. And to also in the process, get your house in order, maybe start getting your house in order and then start bragging to your parents about how in order your house is and encouraging them to use the same process that you used to get their house in order. And if you don't know where to begin this, savingyoutaxes.com is how you reach us. Just go to our website. It's got phone numbers. There's email places, savingyoutaxes.com. Connect with us and we'll help you get started in the process of getting your estate in order, getting your parents' estate in order, so you can answer that question, will you receive an inheritance? Those are difficult questions, and I know I can totally see when you ask those questions that sort of flustered look on people's face. And I totally understand the guilt involved in it too, but knowing that information, I personally, now this is personally, it seems quite liberating to me that I know what to expect. I know if the house isn't in order and I know that having those difficult conversations need to happen. Now, can you help with some of those difficult conversations? Do you have any resources? Have you done any podcasts on those difficult conversations before we move on to question number six? Well, I'd have to go back to the podcast library. That That is a good podcast itself, uh, how to have difficult conversations with your parents about their estate. Why don't you write that down? Send me an email, Matt. Would I you? totally do that. I'm writing it down right now, my friend. Let's move on to question number six. All right. Well, so question number six is this. How much financial legacy do you want to leave to your children? Is it important to leave them a legacy? And this is a really interesting one because I usually get very quick answers and they're usually very determined. They'll either say, I'm not worried about that at all, 
or then some people you can just see it's almost a pain thing for them. And they're like, oh, I definitely want to leave a legacy for my kids. And there's no right or wrong answer here because different families are structured differently. You've got different things going on, different ways that the education for the kids was already paid for. We've already provided them and all those sorts of things, different amounts of money that the family has in the estate. So it really doesn't matter what your answer is. It just matters that you have an answer. And some people will say none. Some people will say, well, I'd like to just spend my interest and earnings while I'm living and leave my principal to my kids. Or a lot of times people say, well, I'd like to leave them a little something. And the problem with that answer is, well, exactly what is a little something? I'm pretty sure the little something to somebody who lives in the hills of the Missouri Ozarks is probably quite a bit different than the little something family where daddy played in the NBA or was a Wall Street executive or something like that. So focus on what the definition of a little something is. And by the way, a great way to leave a little something or a bigger something to your kids is not to be worried about leaving them some actual physical assets that you're trying to spend out of and live out of, but instead to use life insurance as a tool to do that. And so sometimes if a person says, well, you know, I'd like to leave each kid a half million dollars. There's two kids. We can do a million dollar life insurance policy very cost effectively, split it in half when you die, half of it goes to each kid tax free, and they have the legacy that they're looking for. So you need to answer the question, how much financial legacy do you want to leave to your children? And then there's a question that follows up right after that, Matt. And that question is this, how do you want to leave your legacy? Do you want to do an outright bequest, which means you drop over dead and the kids get a check? Do you want to leave a staged distribution? And a staged distribution says, well, I would want my kids to receive so many dollars immediately upon my death, but I want them to then receive the rest of it, 130, 135, and 140, or whatever it happens to be. I just made those numbers up. They don't mean anything. The point is some kids are very mature, responsible, and you can just hand them all the family purse upon your death and they'll do just fine with it. Some kids are not going to do fine with it no matter when you give it to them. So by staging it out, you're just trying to delay them running out of money. Now, sometimes you've got outlaws, not in-laws, but outlaws. You know, you remember the one they married that you didn't want them to marry and you regret that they're married to, but you try to be nice at Thanksgiving. Well, you may want to protect your family legacy so your child is protected from the outlaw because there could be a divorce coming down the road even after you're gone. And there are things you can do with trusts that would protect from outlaws and would protect even from bankruptcies so that the legacy that you leave to the kids don't get eaten up when the kids have a bankruptcy because maybe poor financial management on their part, maybe they're married to an outlaw, or maybe they have some kind of a critical health thing that happens. I know a lovely young couple who I just think the world of who are youngsters. I guess they're in their late 30s now. COVID hit him and hit him hard. He has been in the hospital since January. He just this week, it's now uh, late March. He just took his first bite of food since early February. He's going to be back on his feet, but it has been long and gruesome. And neither one of these kids are working. They have two small children. She's right there at his bedside every day. And so, you know, a bankruptcy is going to come. That's the only way that problem is going to be solved. And so if their family had left them money and that money is deposited into their bank accounts, then that money gets swept up in the bankruptcy. But if that money were instead in a trust and it's doled out to them, then when the bankruptcy comes, the bankruptcy can't touch the money that's in the trust. So you need to think about how you want to leave your legacy to your kids. Just have an idea in mind because then we can be sure that we set it up in a way that will make it happen. 
I'm so glad that you brought up the whole idea of a trust because I think some people think that, well, trusts are only for uber wealthy people. And because of the distribution that you were just talking about, protection from outlaws and bankruptcy, I think you've brought it back into the fact that I think that Tom, Dick, and Harry, or Jill, or Jane, or most people who are walking around, trust could really help them a whole bunch. Is that a fair statement? Well, it is. I find two things. I find that people want a trust who don't need one, and I find people who need a trust and don't have one is kind of the way it works. So not everybody needs a trust. In fact, many, many people don't need a trust. But if you've got a problem in the family, maybe you have a child who's going to have to be cared for by their siblings, child is developmentally or physically disabled, delayed in some way. Maybe you have that outlaw spouse that your child's married to. Those would be some reasons that you might want to protect in them. And that leads us to question number eight, which is this. How do you plan to pay for long-term care? Now, let me make this perfectly clear. You must deal with this. This is not something to sweep under the rug. In fact, the fact that you don't know the answer to the question is an indication that it's already been swept under the rug. And it's going to continue to be swept under the rug until the day they roll you into the nursing home. Don't let that happen. Now, if you're rich enough, and when I say rich enough, I don't know what that number is, but it's going to be north of $5 million probably. If you're rich enough, you can probably just write a check and pay for your long-term care. If you're poor enough, well, the government's going to kick in and they're going to take over providing for you in a welfare program called Medicaid. But if you're somewhere in the middle, and many of our clients are somewhere in the middle, they're not so rich that they can just write the checks and not worry about it. I've got a few clients who are that way. They're not so poor that they qualify for Medicaid, so they're caught in the middle. And what's going to happen is when the long-term care event comes to your house, and let's hope it never does, but we know for three out of four people it will. So when the long-term care event comes to your house, what you're going to have to do is start writing checks. And if you've got that typical retirement that most people have built, then you start writing those checks out of retirement and it starts draining the account very rapidly. And here's what happens. You're the first spouse to get sick. All the money gets spent on you and your long-term care. Then you die and your spouse is left bereaved by your loss and bereft of any financial resources because all of it was spent caring for you. And you wind up leaving them in their retirement penniless. And it could have all been cured if you had done some long-term care planning. But I had a guy in my office just yesterday. He wants to do long-term care planning. And guess what? He's 65 years old. And he's just had a heart attack. And he's got sleep apnea. His wife is disabled because she can't keep her balance. They're probably not going to be able to get any kind of long-term care sorts of protection. So, if you can't write that check and you don't want to go on welfare, and I think most people don't want the welfare option, then what are you going to do? Well, your option really is to only to insure against it. And the old-style long-term care insurance, really, you can't hardly even get it anymore because the insurance companies discovered that people were living longer and longer and longer, and it's costing more and more to keep them alive in these long-term care facilities. And they weren't planning on you living that long and it costing that much. So what's happening is on those old policies, people are seeing either their premiums go sky high or the insurance company is saying, if you can't pay a higher premium, what we'll do is we'll just reduce the amount of coverage so you don't get as much benefit. Now, instead of that option, which is not palatable to people, we use often to provide for long-term care something called a LERP. A LERP with chronic illness benefits. And you can go back and look at one of our podcasts and we talk about using a tax-free, LERP stands for Life Insurance Retirement Plan. And the cool thing about that is what it'll do for you is three things. First of all, 
If you die, it's self-fulfilling. It provides a lump sum of money to provide for your spouse or for your heirs and beneficiaries if you die early. Now, we don't want to die early, but sometimes that's going to happen. Instead, we want to live long. The problem with living long is you might live long healthy and you might live long sick. Now, if you live long healthy and you're using a LERP, you get to actually make tax-free withdrawals from the LERP, just like in a Roth IRA, stick them in your pocket, go spend them any way you want to and live your life. We sometimes refer to these plans as super Roth IRA accounts because they are taxed like Roths, but they don't have any of the handcuffs age-wise. But if you live a long life and you don't wind up spending that money on lifestyle because it was fun and enjoyable, you may get sick and you may need to spend that money on chronic illness. And the insurance company essentially takes the death benefit that you were going to be paid out and they pay it out as a living benefit instead. And they say, we know you're going to have to pay this when you die anyway. So here, why don't we give it to you now? And you can spend that money on your long-term care, chronic illness kind of expenses, have someone come into the home to take care of you. I have an uncle right at this moment. I got a text on him this morning. They decided last Saturday to not give him any more food or water, no more hydration. And he hasn't had anything since Sunday. He has some type of dementia, dementia Alzheimer's issue that he hasn't known the family for quite some time. And they had him at home until the first day of March. And this is the 31st day of March. They had him at home and they were spending like seven or 8,000 bucks, but they were at the point where they were going to have to have full-time round-the-clock care. It was going to cost them something over 20,000 a month. They couldn't do that. So they packed him up back on the first and they moved him off to nursing care. And he got out of the car and walked in actually. But now here we are less than 30 days later and no food nourishment. He's not awake. You can't talk to them. He's just gone. So this may visit your home. I hope it doesn't. If it does visit your family, let's have the financial end of it worked out. And there are ways that you can work that out. And if you'll call us at savingyoutaxes.com, you can't call that. You obviously have to look that up. But if you look up savingyoutaxes.com, it'll give you a phone number. And if you call us, then we'll talk with you about how to have a solution to that particular problem. All right, before we get to the final question here, the phone number is 417-882-1726 or toll-free 800-278-1755. And if you also go to savingyourtaxes.com forward slash podcast, you'll be able to find that podcast that Barry was talking about. All right, Barry, what's the final question? And let's wrap this puppy up today. All right, very good. So the final question is kind of a funny question because you're going to say, ah, I don't get it. Here's the question. What will you have Norman Rockwell paint in your retirement picture. Now, I used to ask a big technical question here. Suppose we're sitting here three years from today, what has to have happened, yabba dabba do, and people looked at me like a calf staring at a new gate. They're like three farm people who listen to the podcast who are really going to appreciate that acronym because they know when you go hang a new gate in the field, all the cattle come around and lower their heads and stand and look at it like, what is that today? But for those of you who don't get it, what I'm talking about is you're going to be caught off guard when I asked that question. So we learned to ask the question differently. And I start the question by saying, you know who Norman Rockwell is? Well, yeah, sure. I know Norman Rockwell. He's the painter. His museum's in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, I think. And he paints those really quaint paintings of the family gathered around the table at Thanksgiving, getting ready to carve the turkey, or the little boy in the small town barbershop getting his haircut. Yeah, that's the guy. Okay, we're going to hire him. And we're going to say, Norman, paint a picture of my retirement future. And you get to tell Norman what is going to go in that picture. Now, tell me what it is. 
And it's really interesting because when I ask the question that way, sometimes people can just start coming up with things. I, the best answer I've ever gotten, the guy just immediately said, my suitcase is by the door. So what that told me is travel was really important to him. Travel often comes up here. And the next question, of course, is, well, where are you going to travel to? Tell me about those trips. What are you going to do? Are you taking the kids? Not taking the kids. You're paying for the kids. If you take them, you're not going to pay for the kids. How's this going to look? How often are you going to go on these trips? Have Norman Rockwell paint a picture of your retirement future. People will often say, you know, my family's in the picture. I'm, I've got my kids gathered around. There's a steaming uh, heat coming off the things that I've just prepared meal for my family. And my kitchen smells good. And you, they're getting in there and they're dreaming about what their retirement years are going to look like and how they're going to structure this. You know, the problem is most people haven't figured out what retirement's going to look like. They know what they're retiring from, the job that they don't necessarily like, but they don't know what they're retiring to. This question really asks... What are you retiring to? What's the future going to look like? And so they'll tell me whatever they tell me, and I'll repeat it back to them, and I'll say, what else? And 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 what else? Until they finally say, that's the whole painting, man. There's nothing else to go in there. And it helps them to get clear. You need to get clear on what your retirement is going to look like. And then I'm going to ask you the question that I started with, the harder question. I'm going to say, so if we're sitting here three years from today, what has to have happened over those three years for you to feel satisfied with the progress that you've made? And usually after they got their brain in the Norman Rockwell space, they can then answer the three years question and answer it very clearly. So you need to be prepared to answer the question about Norman Rockwell and what he's going to paint in your picture. And if you will answer those nine questions, kind of have those thought through before you sit down with your retirement designer, then it'll make the process go much more rapidly much more smoothly, and you're that much closer to having a retirement design that will work for you. Now, if you have a retirement designer, more power to you. I hope these questions help you. If you don't have and you need help to begin this process, that's what we do on every day that ends in Y. So call us. The way you can find our contact information is go to savingyoutaxes.com. And if you found the podcast today helpful, I hope that you'll go into your podcast app and go to this episode and you'll click share and you'll then email this podcast link to or text it to everybody you know who you think ought to listen to this. So if it takes some time to do that, good. We appreciate the, the more sharing that you do. That's great. And of course, you can go to the website, savingyoutaxes.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a button that's green. It says, listen to our podcast and it'll take you to the page of all the podcasts. And then from those, you can subscribe. And when you subscribe, every episode will be automatically downloaded into your podcast app so you never miss any of the important information that we provide. Well, that's it for this edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. I'm Barry Watts here with Matt Halloran from SavingYouTaxes.com, where we always say, no matter how good your retirement plan is, if you don't get the taxes right, nothing else matters. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. 
Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.